Welcome to tape number five of Gleanings in the Godhead, part two, Excellencies which pertain to God the Son as Christ by A.W. Pink. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. There is no copyright on this material, and we encourage you to reproduce it and pass it on to your friends. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L 3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. And now to the reading of Part 2 of Gleanings in the Godhead by A.W. Pink, which we pray you find to be a great blessing and which we hope draws you near to the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 9, The Crucifixion of Christ They crucified him, and sitting down they watched him there. Matthew 27, 35-36 The reference is to Roman soldiers, as is clear from John 19.23 and confirmed by Matthew 27.54. They were authorized to carry out the death sentence passed by Pilate, and into their hands the governor had delivered the Savior, verses 26-27. With coarse scurrility, they executed the task. Adding insult to injury, they exposed the Lord Jesus to the indignities of of a mock coronation, robing him in scarlet, crowning him with thorns, hailing him as king of the Jews. Giving full expression to their enmity, they spat on him, smote him with a reed, and mocked him. Restoring to him his raiment, they conducted him to Golgotha and affixed him to the cross. Having gambled for his garments, they sat down to watch him to frustrate any attempt at rescue his friends might make and to wait until life was extinct let us note three things first the circumstances the religious leaders of Israel had taken the initiative for there assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him Matthew 26 verses 3 to 4 how many of the foulest crimes which have blackened the pages of history were perpetrated by ecclesiastical dignitaries yet the common people were in full accord with their leaders for the multitude Mark 15:8 requested Pilate to adhere to his custom of releasing a prisoner to them when he gave them the choice between Christ and Barabbas They preferred the latter, and when the governor asked what was their pleasure concerning the former, they cried, Crucify him, Mark 15, 13. It was to content the people that Pilate released Barabbas, verse 15. 
When Pilate reasoned with them, all the people said, His blood be on us and all our children. Matthew 27:25. And Pilate, the administrator of the Roman law, which boasted of justice, acceded to their unjust demands. Second, the scene. It was the outskirts of Jerusalem, a city more memorable than either Rome, London, or New York, the residence of David, the royal city, the seat of Israel's kings. The city witnessed the the magnificence of Solomon's reign, and here the temple stood. Here the Lord Jesus had taught and wrought miracles, and into this city he had ridden a few days earlier, seated upon an ass, as the multitudes cried, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, Matthew 21, 9. So fickle is human nature. Israel had rejected their king, and therefore he was conducted beyond the bounds of the city, so that he suffered without the gate, Hebrews 13, 12. The actual place of the crucifixion was Golgotha, signified the place of the skull. Nature had anticipated the awful deed, since the contour of the ground resembled a death's head. Luke gives the name, Gentile name Calvary, Luke 23.33, for the guilt of that death rested on both Jew and Gentile. Third, the time. This was an, as significant and suggestive as the historical and topographical associations of the place itself. Christ was crucified on the 14th of Nisan, or Nisan, or about the beginning of April. It was the first of Israel's great national feast, the most important season in the Jewish year. It was the Passover, a solemn celebration of that night when all the firstborn sons of the Hebrews were spared from the angel of death in the land of Egypt. At this great at this season, great multitudes thronged Jerusalem, for it was one of the three annual occasions which every male Israelite was commanded to appear before Jehovah in the temple, Deuteronomy 16.16. 16. Thus, huge crowds had journeyed there from all parts of the land. It was no obscure corner nor in secret that the great sacrifice was offered up to God. And the 14th of Nisan was the day appointed for it, for the Lord Jesus was the antitypical Lamb, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. On no other day could he be slain. At an earlier date they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come, John seven thirty. They crucified him, and sitting down they watched him there. My divisions are simple. What they saw, what I see, what do you see? what they saw. They beheld the most amazing event of all history, the most awe-inspiring spectacle men ever saw, the most tragic and yet the most glorious deed ever performed. They beheld God incarnate taken by wicked hands and slain, and at the same time the Redeemer voluntarily laying down his life for those who, who have forfeited every claim upon him. To the soldiers it was an ordinary event, the execution of a criminal, and thus it is with most who hear the gospel. It falls on their ears as a religious commonplace. To the Roman soldiers, at least for a while, Christ appeared only as a dying Jew. Thus it is with the multitude today. They beheld the incomparable 
perfections of the crucified one how immeasurably different the men the mean m-i-e-n of the suffering savior from what they had witnessed from others in similar circumstances no cursing of his lot no reviling of his enemies no maledictions upon themselves the very reverse his lips are engaged in prayer father he says forgive them for they know not what they do luke 23:34 how amazed they must have been as they heard the blessed one on the tree making intercession for the transgressors isaiah 53:12 the two thieves crucified with him mocked the redeemer matthew 27:44 but at the 11th hour one of them was granted repentance unto life Acts 11:18. Turning to Jesus, he said, "Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom." Luke 23:42. The Lord did not decline his appeal and says, "You have and say you have sinned beyond the reach of mercy." But he answered, "Verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise." Verse 43. They witnessed an unparalleled display of sovereign grace to one of the greatest of sinners they beheld most mysterious phenomena they sat down to watch him but after a while they were no longer able to do so at midday it suddenly became midnight from the sixth hour after sunrise there was darkness all over the land unto the ninth hour matthew 27:45. it was as though the sun refused to shine on such a scene as though nature itself mourned over such a sight during those three hours a transaction took place between christ and god which was infinitely too sacred for finite eyes to gaze upon a mystery which no mortal mind can fully enter as soon as the savior committed his spirit into the hands of the father behold the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks rent and the graves were open and many bodies of the saints which slept arose matthew 27:51 to 22 this was no ordinary sufferer it was the creator of heaven and earth and heaven and earth expressed their sympathy they beheld and heard what was blessed to their conviction and conversion Pharaoh witnessed a most remarkable display of God's power in the plagues which he sent upon Egypt, but far from inclining him to repentance, he continued to harden his heart. Thus it always is with the unregenerate while they are left to themselves. Neither the most astonishing tokens of God's goodness nor the most awe-inspiring of judgments melt them. But God was pleased to soften the callous hearts of these Roman soldiers and illumine their heart heart heathen minds now when the centurion and they that were with him watching jesus saw the earthquake and those things with that were done they feared greatly saying truly this was the son of god matthew 27:54. we regard this as another of the miracles at calvary a miracle of amazing grace and we expect to meet in heaven the man who hammered the nails into the savior's hands and thrust the spear into his side god's answer to christ's prayer father forgive them so there is hope for the vilest sinner if he will surrender to the lordship of christ and trust in his blood what i see i see an unveiling of the character of man now all things that are discovered 
in the margin, are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Ephesians 5.13 Christ is the true light, John 1.9. The essential, divine, all-revealing light. And consequently, all men and all things stood exposed in his presence. The worst things predicted in scripture of fallen human nature were exemplified in the days of Christ. God says that the heart of man is desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17.9, and it is so demonstrated by the treatment of his beloved son. Scarcely was he born into the world that men made a determined effort to slay him, though he constantly went about doing good, relieving the distressed and ministering to the souls and bodies of the needy. He was so little appreciated that he had to say, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Matthew 8.20 On one occasion they besought him that he would depart out of their coast. Matthew 8.34 Not only was Christ unwelcome here, but also men hated him without a cause. John 15.25 He gave them every reason to admire him, but they had an inveterate aversion for him. The word declares the carnal mind is enmity against God, Romans 8.7. Multitudes go through the form of paying homage to God, but of a God, little g, of their own imagination. They hate the living God, and were it possible, would rid the universe of him. This is clear from their treatment of Christ, for he was none other than God manifest in flesh, 1 Timothy 3.16. They hated and hounded him to death, and nothing short of death by crucifixion would appease them. At Calvary, the real character of man was revealed, and the desperate wickedness of his heart laid bare. I see an unveiling of sin. Sin, that abominable thing which the Lord hates, Jeremiah 44.4, is regarded so lightly by those who commit it. Sin, it caused our first parents to be banished from Eden and is responsible for all the woe in the world. Sin, it produces strife and bloodshed and has turned this land of the living into a mammoth cemetery. Sin, a hideous monster we so much dislike hearing about in which we are so ready to excuse sin. Satan employs all his subtle arts to render it attractive and sets it forth in the most appealing colors. One of the great designs of the Incarnation was to bring to light the hidden things of darkness. The presence here of the Holy One served as a brilliant light in a long-neglected room, revealing its squalor and filth. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. John 15:22. Christ here spoke comparatively. Evil as man had shown himself through history, and the coming of the Emmanuel to earth brought sin to a head. All that had gone before was a trifling thing when compared to the monstrous wickedness done against love incarnate. In the treatment of the Son of God, in, excuse me, in, in the treatment the Son of God received at the hands of men, we see sin in its true colors, stripped of all disguise, exposed in all its hideous reality, in its true nature as rebellion against God. At Calvary, we behold the climax of sin, the fearful, 
horrible lengths to which it is capable of going. When germinated in Eden, culminated in the crucifixion, excuse me, what germinated in Eden culminated in the crucifixion. The first sin occasioned spiritual suicide. The second, fratricide. Cain murdered his brother, but here at Calvary it resulted in deicide, the slaying of the Lord of glory. We also see the fearful wages of sin, death and separation from God, since Christ hung there as the sin-bearer, he received the punishment due to them. I see an unveiling of the character of God. The heavens declare his glory, and the firmament shows his handiwork, but nowhere are his perfections more prominently displayed than at the cross. Here is his ineffable holiness. The holiness of God is the delight he has in all that is pure and lovely, Therefore, his nature burns against whatever is evil. God hates sin wherever it is found, and he made no exception of Christ when he saw it imputed on his beloved Son. There God laid on him the iniquity of us all, Isaiah 53.6. He dealt with him accordingly, pouring out his holy wrath upon him. God is of a purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Habakkuk 1.13 Therefore he turned his back on the sin-bearer. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The suffering Savior cried, then answered his own query, Thou art holy. Psalm 22.1-3 and 3. I see God's inflexible justice. The pronouncement of his law is the soul that sinneth, it shall die. No deviation from it can be made, for Jehovah has expressly declared he will by no means clear the guilty, Exodus 34.7. But will he not make an exception of the one whom he testifies is the lamb without blemish and without spot, 1 Peter 1.19? No, for though Christ was sinless both by nature and action because the sins of his people had been laid upon him, God spared not his own son, Romans 8.32. Because sin was transferred to him, punishment must be visited upon him. Therefore God cried, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, Zechariah 13.7. God would not abate one iota of his righteous demand, or allow sentiment to sully the fair face of his government. He claims to be par excellence, the judge who is without respect of persons. How fully that was demonstrated at Calvary by his refusal to exempt the person of his beloved, the one in whom his soul delighted, Isaiah 42.1, when he occupied the place of the guilty. I see God's amazing grace. God commendeth his love towards us, his people, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. Had he so pleased, God could have consigned the whole of Adam's race to everlasting woe. That is what each of us richly deserves. But why should he not do so? By nature we are depraved and corrupt, by practice incorrigible rebels, with no love for him nor concern for his glory. 
but out of his own goodness he determined to save a people from their sins to redeem them by Christ to the praise of the glory of his grace Ephesians 1 6 he determined to pluck them as brands from the burning so they might be the eternal monuments of his mercy because it was wholly outside their power to make atonement for their fearful crimes he himself provided an all-sufficient sacrifice for them he is the God of all grace first Peter 5:10, and he has given innumerable tokens of this but nowhere were the riches of his grace so lavishly and wondrously displayed as at Calvary see here God's manifold wisdom the word declares there shall in no wise enter into anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination Revelation 21:27. then how is it possible that I can ever gain admittance into the heavenly Jerusalem how can it be that one so completely devoid of righteousness could ever receive divine approbation the law says the soul that sinneth it shall die I have sinned and broken the law how then can I escape its penalty since I am a spiritual pauper how can the necessary ransom be procured these are problems that no human intelligence can solve nor is the knot to be cut by an appeal to the bare mercy of God for his mercy is not an attribute which overrides his justice and integrity but at the cross the divine perfection shone out in glorious unity like the blending of the colors of the rainbow their mercy and truth met together righteousness and peace have kissed each other Psalm 85 verse 10 God's justice was satisfied by Christ and therefore his mercy flows freely to all who repent and believe the wisdom of God appears in creation and providence but nowhere so grandly as at the cross I see myself what yes as I turn my gaze to the cross I behold myself and so does everyone who looks with an eye of faith Christ hung there as the surety of his people and there cannot be representation without identification Christ identified with those whose sins he bears believers identified with him in the sight of God they are one Christ took my place and faith approbates that excuse me appropriates that fact in the person of my substitute I satisfied every requirement of God's law in the person of Christ I paid the full price which divine justice demanded in the person of Christ I stand approved before God for whom for I am clothed with his meritorious perfections Isaiah 61 10 the whole ransomed church of God can say of Christ he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities Isaiah 53 4 who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree first Peter 224 and faith individualizes it and declares I am crucified with Christ who loved me and gave himself for me Galatians 222 excuse me Galatians 220 hallelujah what a savior what do you see you behold one whom you despise and reject if you are unsaved perhaps you deny it saying my attitude is merely negative you err if you are not the friend of Christ you are his enemy 
there is no third class. He that is not with me is against me, Matthew 12:30, is his own verdict, and from that there is no appeal. You have despised his authority, flouted his laws, treated his claims with contempt. You reject his yoke and scepter and refuse to be ruled by him. Thus, you unite with those who cast him out and hounded him to death. You behold one who is presented as Savior. Yes, despite your wicked treatment of him hitherto, he is set before you in the gospel as one willing and able to heal the wounds sin has made and to save your souls from eternal death. If you will throw down the weapons of your warfare against him, surrender to his lordship, and trust in his redeeming blood, he will accept you now. Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. John 6.37 You behold the one who is to be your judge, if you refuse to accept him as Savior. Come to him now as a repentant sinner, as a spiritual pauper casting yourself upon his grace and he will pardon your iniquities and give you a royal welcome come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest matthew 11:28 is his own invitation with promise but continue to turn your back upon him and one day he will say to you depart from me you cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels Matthew 25:41 This concludes the reading of tape number 5 of part 2 of Gleanings in the Godhead by A.W. Pink Please go to the next tape in the series Thank you This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books Many free resources as well as SWRB's complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, CDs, and much more at great discounts is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. This book, Part 2 of The Gleanings in the Godhead by A.W. Pink, is also available from Stillwater's Revival Books in softcover format at a discount in our A to Z author listings. Please, don't forget to look over the 62 CDs that make up our Reformation and Puritan Bookshelf CD sets if you visit our website at swrb.com as these CDs are a great way to build a major reform library at a fraction of the cost of the printed books.